the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. We are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history. I can hear you. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here in a Pro-America Report. Don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com. If you want to sign up for my daily email, the wink, what you need to know, sign up there, ProAmericaReport.com. And always go to TheAnswerSanDiego.com to track down all the bits and pieces. Uh, great to be with uh, Andrea K. Earlier tonight, she's super. Andrea Kay's show is important to track and watch closely. We'll actually talk to her in a few minutes, so looking forward to that. And we will also uh, have a visit, catch up with, this is important. Uh, you know, I haven't had somebody from Numbers USA on in a while. In a few minutes, we'll talk with Chris Chmielinski about uh, exactly what is happening. The president's immigration order from last week was a big deal, uh, so we'll visit with him about that. P- people seem to miss it. You know, you're, you're watching what's going on. But, uh, you know, I want to, let me cover... Well, what you need to know, the daily wink, which you're waiting for, I want to get to that. Let me preview it for you. It is this, St. Louis leads, St. Louis leads. But before I get to St. Louis leads and why, because the answers are unbelievably interesting. One is stand your ground. If you're a family and you got got people coming at your house, stand your ground. Second is Cardinal Tim Dolan. He's from New York, you think. But he's actually a St. Louis boy, born and raised in St. Louis. I'll tell you about that. And uh, and also, and finally, uh, I want to explain to you how uh, where leadership's going to come from and St. Louis is part of the solution. But before we get to that, I've been talking about the Pledge of Allegiance for a few weeks. Ah, it's been months. You know, on my daily periscope uh, during the afternoon, I do a daily periscope, about 15 minutes. I'll talk about some of these topics. It's kind of practice for the show. At, at Eagle Ed Martin on Twitter, if you want to go listen or go track it down. But um, I do the Pledge of Allegiance every single day on the Periscope. I got a flag, a photo, a beautiful photo of a flag in my office. Got some actual flags in my office. And so I'll go and do that, do the uh, Pledge of Allegiance every day. And I want to tell you about why I want, I want the Pledge of Allegiance to catch on. I want it to get catch back on because what you realize is most people about, about 40 and younger, maybe 45 and younger people didn't, they stopped saying the Pledge of Allegiance as uh, regularly at school. If you're 45 or older, I asked General Flynn this question last week. I've asked you all, the listeners, when did you remember, what's their first memory of the Pledge of Allegiance? Most people 45 and older, maybe 50 and older, but I think it's 45 is about the cutoff. They remember saying the Pledge of Allegiance when they were in school, like first grade, kindergarten, whatever it was. That was General Flynn. He remembers kindergarten every day. But here's an interesting thing about the pledge. You know, the Pledge of Allegiance was written by a man named Francis Bellamy. 
and he wrote the Pledge of Allegiance, and he was a socialist, full-on socialist. This is back at the latter days of the 1800s, like 1890, I think. I might be getting the date a little wrong. But there were lots of socialists coming to America, and some of them succeeded in messing things up. But Bellamy wrote this Pledge of Allegiance because it was kind of a thing to do to have pledges when you join something. And his was a pledge about America. The end of it, you'll hear it, you know, liberty and justice for all. He wanted all this, you know, evening out and all. And so, but it was a good pledge, right? And he knew what is true, which is when you hear something or say something or participate in something over and over again, it has an effect on you, on yourself and on your being and relates, it knits us together. It's one of the reasons why, you know, uh, some of our people, my friends and the Eagles are reciting the Declaration of Independence. And so often we talk about the great speeches and moments. If you haven't heard uh, Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural address read out loud, you're missing something. Anyway, knitting ourselves together, Pledge of Allegiance, National Anthem. There's a reason why the protests over the National Anthem are powerful, because you're messing with, for a lot of Americans, something that's really powerfully part of us, right? Saying our oaths when you're sworn into the military or to be a law enforcement, all these things, law enforcement person, they they knit us together. Well, Bellamy had this pledge and it started to catch on. But in 1952, as we faced the threat of world communism, the Soviets were surging, Americans were worried, men and women who believed in in America especially were worried. We'd won two world world wars together. And, And there was a movement to add the words under God to the pledge. So the socialist pledge that was knitting us together, we stole it. We got it back from the socialists by putting God in there because socialists don't believe in God. They believe in, in the government and they believe in, in, in you know, kind of uh, knitting you together under man, not under God. So the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, 31 words, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. It's a darn good thing. So say the pledge... Get focused on the pledge. Bring it back in your family, in your community. I know this 4th of July is going to be a funny one. There's not going to be quite as many parades. There's not going to be as many, um, you know, celebrations, especially with all of our all of our military uh, in San Diego area and across the country. The reason to sell, it's all warped up, warped by this coronavirus stuff. But the pledge is there. You can say it. All right, let me get to uh, what you need to know. Today's wink. Today's wink is St. Louis Leeds. St. Louis Leeds. Did you see the video of the couple who came out of their home and they said, you're not going to mess with our home in St. Louis. Have you seen this yet? They're in front of this big, beautiful mansion. Well, let me lay this out for you. It's a very, it's a wonderful story. Over the past four or five days in St. Louis, there have been Black Lives Matter target, have been targeting the St. Louis um, statue. It's a massive, beautiful statue that sits in front of the St. Louis Art Museum. The St. Louis Art Museum is in Forest Park, which is larger than Central Park. It's a big, beautiful park. It was the site of the 1904 World's Fair. And when the World's Fair came to a, a city or a nation, a nation, city or in a nation, 120, 116 years ago, it was a much bigger deal because you had to travel by boat and you had to stay for months. And they built huge, it, it was the St. Louis, um, uh, the World's Fair and Exposition is what it's called. And they brought in all these things. It's the place for the first place, they say it's the first place for the, the hot dog, I think, or maybe the pre, uh, ice cream cone, that's the one. And all kinds of things come and they test things there. You know, it was all kinds of people are at these things, inventors, and they build gazebos. And a lot of that structure in St. Louis uh, in the in the um, Forest Park Park are still there. There's a Spanish pavilion that's left over. Part of the art museum is left over. Statues, all these things. 
And when you go down to the park, on one side is Washington University, on the other side is uh, big uh, 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 healthcare center, BJC, Barnes Jewish Hospital, Barnes Jewish Christian Hospital system all merged together. And when you go on the other side of the park, there's all these big, beautiful homes that were built at the time that you were going to have guests come to St. Louis for six months, sometimes up to a year, ambassadors came and heads of state all came for the St. Louis uh, uh, Expo, the, the World's Fair. That neighborhood, one of the streets is called Portland Place. So after the Black Lives Matters, people went up onto Art Hill and protested in front of the St. Louis statue. And hundreds of, 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 of St. Louisans came and prayed there, Christians and some Catholics. Some of the Catholics were there and some Protestants and others came together to pray. Protest, they were, because Black Lives Matter said St. Louis was a mean guy. This is nonsense. But they marched off the Black Lives Matter through that neighborhood. And then when they got to one of the streets, Portland Place, and they're chanting and ugly. And remember, the power, what you need to know is the power of the TV, CNN and MSNBC, and all the coverage of the violence in Lafayette Square, uh, in D.C., in Minnesota, Minneapolis, burning, all these things. Well, one of the families there said, I'm not going to tolerate this. And the head of the household came out. They have his name all over the Internet now, but came out with a big uh, AR-15. AR it looked like it. And his wife had a pistol. And they said, stay off our yard. And here's what you need to know. If the media brainwashes the American people, not with the pledge or something positive, but with the message of hate and burn our places and do destruction, don't be surprised if a citizen doesn't act like the St. Louis couple and say, no, no, not in my, not my house, not my family, not my neighborhood, and stands up. That's what they're doing here. So God bless the family, but understand the scary part of this. The media is feeding this division, not the people, not the people. Second part of St. Louis leads right here. Cardinal Tim Dolan, the, the Arch, Cardinal Archbishop of New York, he wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. I have it in my hands. I printed it out. The title of it is, Even the Bible is Full of Flawed Characters. And Cardinal Dolan was born and raised in St. Louis, a huge St. Louis Cardinals fan. He's a great guy. I've met him like a million times. He's now in, in New York City. But he wrote a long piece, and he said in here, look, if, you, if, the, if the notion is that who's, whoever's got personal flaws is no longer deemed uh, appropriate, well, we all give up. The Bible's full of characters who convert. Paul, Saul becomes Paul. You know, Mary Magdalene becomes St. Mary Magdalene. Well, get on and on. But he also says a wonderful thing that probably only a guy like him could get away with because it's so potent. He says, you remember when we, when we were going to raise the status of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday to a national holiday? Some people objected, saying that his own self-admitted flaws, adultery, dishonesty, Nobody thinks that we should stop. I don't thinking about Martin Luther King Jr. and his message because he was a flawed character. Everybody's flawed. Read Cardinal Dolan and understand it's what an adult thinks about this idea. We believe in learning from the past. And here's what you need to know. St. Louis leads. He even, Dolan points out, it's the communists that did this in the Cultural Revolution 50 years ago in China because they want to get rid of your history so you live in the present, and you know who will be the present dominator in your life? The state. That's what they're trying to do. And that's what you need to know. All right, let's take a break. we got some great guests. We'll be right back. Don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com. Visit there. Sign up for the Daily Wink. It's Ed Martin. You listen to the ProAmerica Report. Be right back. The ProAmerica Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Ed Martin and the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. 
And uh, go, don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com to sign up for the Daily Wink and get clued in. You know, people ask me, what's the pro? What's, tell me what ProAmerica is. And I say, well, you know, we're working on this, laying the intellectual groundwork, policy groundwork on ProAmerica. I tell you, my vision is it's, it's pro-life, it's pro-family, it's pro-America first, it's pro-Donald Trump's policies when they line up with that. And one of the great uh, resources is an organization called Numbers USA. We've had some of their folks on before. They know the issue. One of the issues at the heart of a pro-America agenda, the way I describe it, the way we're learning it, is a, a, a responsible immigration policy and a discussion about what's actually happening. I happen to be a proponent of what I call the great pause, stopping immigration completely every kind for a, a while. I think we should do that and could do that. But the, in, within that, there's people smarter than me. And one of them is uh, our next guest, Chris Chmielinski, who is with Numbers USA. And uh, last week I mentioned this, and I thought we got to get somebody who really knows it to talk more about it. So first of all, Chris, I'm going to ask you about the President Trump's uh, executive order. But first of all, welcome to the program. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. So let me ask you differently. Before the executive order, you know, within the ex- executive order, which uh, it kind of um, it, it extended an April 22nd order. So um, so maybe talk about we can say from this April 22nd, you know, go ongoing now because it's been extended. The president's done some stuff on these visas that have to do with tech workers before this order on April 22nd. What kind of grade would you have given this president on on the on this immigration question? We're talking about particularly about uh, uh, certain types of immigrants and guest workers. Would you have been, you know, how badly was it needed? Let me say it that way, maybe. Yeah, I, uh, I would say, um, you know, overall, based on what he talked about during the campaign back in 2016, probably give him somewhere around a B. Obviously, he's done a really, really good job on on stopping illegal immigration and enforcement. Uh, the only thing that we'd like to see him doing more on the enforcement end is mandatory verify, which is something that Numbers USA supports. Um, on the legal immigration side, uh, he talked during the campaign about making sure that American workers were put first and at the front of the line for new jobs. Um, there are a few regulations that have come through the pipeline. But aside from that, if you remember, you go back about six months, he said we had a worker shortage. We needed to bring in more foreign workers. But he certainly understands the situation with this COVID pandemic. And and he's he's made the right moves by suspending a lot of these uh, guest worker programs and also permanent uh, permanent employment-based green cards. So and and let me you can, you can often tell and and you, again we're we're talking with uh, Chris Chmielinski of uh, of Numbers USA and uh, people you, you should visit uh, numbersusa.com and you can see uh, all about uh, uh, what they do a lot of writing a lot of smart thinking and then also what's analysis of what's happening um, you can tell a lot about one of these things Chris by who objects who gets mad that the president's doing this? You know, who's who opposes what seems like a common sense in this time? The economy slowed all these kinds of things. Let's hold. But who objects and why? What's their reasoning, their rationale? Well, I'm going to start with a low hanging fruit just because it's it's somewhat comical <laughs> to me. But it's the Immigration Lawyers Association. There's a few big ones <laughs> out there. Um, and, you know, I mean, come on, they're. Are they really looking out for the American people? Or are they looking out for their own pocketbooks? They know that, you know, in order for a foreign worker to obtain an H-1B, L-1 visa, J-1 visa, H-2B visa, these these four major visa programs that were suspended by the most recent proclamation, uh, you know, they know that these folks have to fill out 
very, very complicated paperwork, and they're willing to pay an attorney to help them fill that paperwork out. Um, so, you know, it, it, it's taking money out of their own pockets. So they're speaking out mm-hmm. for their own self-interest. But you're seeing a lot of pushback from the Fortune 500 companies, namely the tech companies that are going to be most affected by both the suspension of the H-1B visa program and also the L-1, which is the intra-company transfer program. So, for example, if, you know, Apple, which is a, a multinational company, has employees while working in Europe, for example, and they want to bring them to the United States to work on a project that they could otherwise hire American workers for, the L-1 visa allows them to bring in these workers um, and take those jobs, take those job opportunities away from Americans. Um, so both of those two visa programs kind of attacked, I, I would say, uh, the business model of Silicon Valley yeah. and, and, and some of the Wall Street companies. But, you know, obviously they're concerned about their bottom lines. So... They've seen the economy take a little bit of a dip over the last couple of months, and now they're going to actually have to pay American workers living wages in order to fill some of these open jobs that they have. Is um, and so what? If you if you could look down the line, we're talking about Numbers USA uh, uh, and, and Numbers USA. One of the, the team there, Chris Chemelinski, and, and Chris, look down the line. What's the solution here? You get this pushback from the tech companies and even people that don't really have much of a you know a, a, a horse in the race, you know, politically, and they say, oh, we need the really good Indian uh, engineers. We really need the better people. And you know, the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked, used to always say, it's total nonsense that these Americans can't do these jobs it's just a lie they want to pay cheaper amounts but she never said it's a lie she said it just was misleading but i'm saying that but down the line what's the path forward is it is it uh more transparency in the process is it zero uh visas what do you think and and is there any real stomach in the uh congress to do the right thing on this well i think a lot of it is just public pressure we know that through through polling that we've done and polling that other polling companies have done, they've asked the question. Uh, we, we've seen that most Americans are, are not on the side of business. When business comes out and says, we just can't find American workers to fill some of these tech jobs, uh, uh, most Americans don't believe them. They say, well, are you recruiting hard enough? Are you paying? Uh, are you increasing pay to try to recruit uh, Americans? Are are college graduates being able to fill these jobs, or are they having a hard time uh, obtaining jobs? You know, so they're asking these questions, and, and in a lot of cases, that, that especially the tech community, they don't really have an answer. I mean, the bottom line is they just want more foreign workers, and so far, most administrations since the H-1B visa was created uh, back in 1990 have have appeased them on this. They've provided them with with, with cheap foreign labor when it comes to tech workers. Um, but as we've seen over the last couple of months with, with what happened with George Floyd up in Minnesota, you put public pressure on these companies. If you start, if Americans start to call out these tech companies and, and other, uh, other big Fortune 500 type companies that rely on these visa programs and say, you know what, we don't believe you. We're not going to allow you to get these visas unless you prove to us that you truly can't find an American worker after you've done everything you possibly can to recruit, hire, and train these workers or, or these folks that aren't employed. Uh, we don't believe you, and, and we're just not going to allow you to access these programs. I think that's what you need. You really need the American voters to speak out on this. 
It is, uh, and and you know, on the other, but but here's a wrinkle. Um, every time I think somebody runs on this re- issue, I, I we had a guest on the program uh, last week. Um, uh, I think it was last week, a, a congressional candidate from Pennsylvania up uh, running in in Lou Barletta's old district. He's running on it. This young young man, he's running on these issues. But most of the even the Republicans don't seem to want to run on this. Is it because, in your estimation, again, this is less a policy question and more a you? What do you think? Is it because they get so much money from these things? Is it they're afraid of the media. Why, why? Why? President Trump won the presidency on basically being clear. We got to get control, and yet many, many candidates don't run on it. Right. You're you're absolutely right on on both of the examples you gave. I mean, first of all, they're getting a lot of business. They're getting a lot of donations from the business community. You see a lot of Republicans that represent agricultural area agricultural districts and. You know, they may be great on immigration, but they almost always have a soft spot for illegal farm workers. And a lot of it is because uh-huh. there are farmers in their district that contribute to their campaign coffers. So that's part of it. The media is another aspect of it. You know, they're scared to death that the media will come out and call them, you know, racist or xenophobic or, or one of the other labels that they throw around, anti-immigrant. <laughs> they're afraid of that. You know, it's it's, right. it's sad that you can't be pro-American worker and be pro-immigrant at the same time. But, you know, that's what I am. That's what I think a lot of people are, is they're, they're pro-American worker and pro-immigrant at the same time, but also understand that you can't have mass immigration, uncontrolled immigration, and ensure that policies protect American workers at the same time. Uh, so, you know, I think they're, they're afraid to get, to get into that with, with the mainstream media. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, I think just you know, they don't want to they don't want to put in the work. It, it is a very the immigration is a super complicated issue. It's not something that, you know, you can just go out and say, you know, we need border security and we need to reform legal immigration. Well, you need to do a little yeah. bit more than that. You need to explain yep. exactly what your policies are. Well, I think it's an important issue, and I hope we uh, have an election that makes it clearer in the Congress uh, and, the, and, again, in the presidency. Chris Chmielinski, thank you for coming on. It's NumbersUSA.com. Find out more on their website. And uh, it's, like I said, it's the most, the most important issue, and it seems still to be dropped to the, to the wayside sometimes. We've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. The Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to have uh, on the show. She precedes me each night here, and I was on her program earlier today. tonight. She's always uh, very kind to let, let me come on and, and uh, talk to her great listeners. And when I, I, a couple times I've, get, I've filled in for her, she has just unbelievable uh, great response and callers and all. So Andrea Kay, the great Andrea Kay show, and she's with us, and I was telling her off the air, and you should do this too, she's really good on Facebook. Some people are good on Twitter. If you're good on Twitter, you're usually like a half a lunatic because you just have to like yell at someone <laughs> and step back and then yell again. And, and on Facebook, it's more likely you put up things that you're like, huh, what about that? And so uh, Andrea Kay earlier today on Twitter posted... Um, and she wrote uh, this. She wrote, Roberts screws America, Americans again. George W. Bush's legacy, a liberal wolf in conservative wool. And she's referring, of course, as we mentioned earlier, the Supreme Court ruled, if you can believe it, four liberals versus four conservatives. Uh, and now they're about to decide to strike down 
uh, or to uphold an abortion law that allowed limitations on abortion so that there's doctor's privileges within miles of where an abortion takes place. Seems like it's good for the mother, good for the baby. Well, our, our the King of America, Chief Justice John Roberts, has said he's going to write, uh, uh, he's going to concur with the liberals on the opinion, write his own mealy mouth junk, and here we are, basically five to four liberals versus conservatives. So, Andrew, that's a long warm up. Uh, welcome back to the program. How are you today? Well, I'm great. I'm, I'm glad to be here with you. Always super fun to be, even when we're talking about a crappy topic like this. I have so much fun being <laughs> on with my brother, Ed Martin. And yeah, I'm, I'm super excited that every night that I get to, to lead into you, I get to be the lead. I get to be the opening act, right? For, <laughs> That's, for I the, don't know for about that. Yeah. Um, listen, you're the attorney. attorney. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to yeah. this story, I, I'm not an attorney. I can't. I can't analyze this to the breadth that you can from a legal standpoint. But I can I can look at it from a common sense standpoint. First and foremost, we can say that one of the things that Roberts did today was he proved that the uh, that abortion is, is never is and never was and never will be about health care for women. Okay. Because you can't argue that this is about health care for women when you don't give a crap whether or not the dude performing the abortion is up to snuff enough to be admitted and have admission rights to a hospital. Okay, so there will be women in addition to children being murdered in this in this procedure. There will be women that will lose their lives in this. So congratulations to John Roberts for proving our point that abortion was never about health care. There are many today that are saying that this was never going to be when it comes to Roe v. Wade, that this is a step to it being ultimately decided as a matter of law and that conservatives who are looking for that to happen uh, don't shouldn't read that today means that Roe v. Wade will never be reviewed again as a matter of law. Um, I, I don't. I, I don't want. I don't like that kind of rose-colored, you know, lens put on this. This was. This was a major loss for those of us who care about life in this country. For those of us who care about the culture war. For those of us who understand that Roe v. Wade was always about uh, devaluing life, and if they could get Americans to devalue life, if they could get Americans to to um, throw God under the bus to this degree, how far could they take our culture? And we see that playing out today. And shame on George W. Bush for being the one that put Roberts uh, on the bench. Well, and and let's talk about this for a minute. I mean, you know, it, it, at this point, um, if you had to, I, I wish it was the other way, but if you had to have President Trump, you look at it, you say, uh-huh, okay, um, my two guys went with the conservatives. The W guy went there. I mean, we're still dealing with Afghanistan war stories because even though Trump's pulled back some of the soldiers, hasn't pulled them all back. And of course, the economy, uh, China thing, all the Democrats and Republicans roll over China. It does make a pretty good argument if you're Trump. You say, that's why I ran and won, because we got to get rid of these swamp creatures. I mean, Robert's defenders make arguments about how He's making a nuanced decision to protect the integrity of the court. I mean, come on. At this point, the court <laughs> sanctioned murder of babies. And where's... Oh, but back to my broader point, which I think you yeah. alluded to. George W. Bush's legacy, as my wife said this morning, he was a terrible president. I mean, we can all sort of agree with that now, can't we? Well, I would hope so. I actually, I actually was off George W. Bush around uh, 2006, to be honest with you, because it was clear to me then that he got... That he, uh, auditioned. He campaigned as conservative and was governing as his compassionate conservatism was nothing but phony liberalism. He was uh, the architect of, of ex- uh, exploding government and expanding government, you know, and we're suffering today as a result of it. Uh, he was an appeaser mm-hmm. to the Islamist movement. 
uh, he, his compassionate conservatism, as we see now with John Roberts, is, is the perfect example of he was a wolf, liberal wolf in sheep's clothing. And um, so, you know, I, I too many conservatives defended George W. Bush for too long. And um, you look at not just this decision, but what, what, what Roberts did with DACA recently. But what he did with the census was the same thing he did with DACA. Right. They're, not, they're sitting right. up there evaluating what the Trump administration did on the basis of process versus law. I mean, the, the legislating from the bench is out of control. A couple of points that I that uh, Trump is already campaigning that, that uh, even before this decision today about how important it is that he stay in office and put justices on the bench. Um, but it also should be a reminder to us that we can't rely on the Supreme Court to solve the mm-hmm. issues. We've got to we've got to be voting at, uh, at every level up and down when we go to vote. It can't be just about voting for president. We've got to be paying attention to who's running for office at, at every state and local level, including judges. It, it, it's exactly right. And in fact, I had a friend of mine who is an immigrant to this country and he loves America now. And he, he wrote me and he, he said, I'm, I'm legitimately confused. He said, if the Supreme Court's not to make, not supposed to make this call, who is? This was last week uh, about the um, about the Title Seven a few weeks ago now. And I said the legislatures are right. The legislature mm-hmm. supposed to fight it out. In fact, the example the example, of course, is that in the case of uh, Title Seven, the Congress didn't didn't pass the change that the court then did. In this case, you have a state, two states. Texas tried it first, and they got struck down. Louisiana, the Louisiana case is up to the Supreme Court, and would have would have had the effect had it been ruled correctly to do this. And the, the, my point here is, let the states, let the legislatures get the space they want to do. But more importantly, you said it. We can't be ruled by these guys in robes, right? I mean, this is not yeah. the way it's supposed to be. They're supposed to be the weakest branch, not the strongest branch. They're supposed to be a check, not a legislature. And I guess the question is, will conservatives actually demand it? Josh Hawley gave a speech 10 days ago, powerful on this topic. But most of the time, Republicans in the Senate and House just kind of go along with the system. Well, absolutely. I mean, where's the outrage today? Where, where was the outrage from the Republican Party with what John Roberts did recently with DACA? Let's talk about the Title VII thing. You know, in 19, you know you're, you're the attorney here. Like I said earlier, I don't really know Title VII and this language and that language. But I know in 1960-whatever, they weren't thinking about transgenders and the RuPaul drag queen show when protections right. for sex in the workplace uh, was written. So, you know, they are right. flat out legislate. They are joining this culture war that we have in, in place in this country, and they're on the wrong side of it. And there is no there is very little pushback from the Republican Party and the culture war as it's playing out on the court, as it's playing out in cities and states across the country uh, from the George Floyd uh, death there with this Black Lives, Lives Matter movement. And it's and it's they're not pushing back on the shutdowns and the gross overreach of, of governments after coronavirus. Republicans, where's we're the talking line? with. Right. We're talking we're we're talking with Andrew Kay, uh, the great Andrew Kay. The Andrew Kay show uh, is right before my show. You need to listen to it and follow her, uh, especially on Facebook. All right, Andrea, what are you going to do? I mean, this is serious. What are you going to do if uh, college football continues to be uh, tortured by the coverage slash the did LSU? Did LSU get a bunch of guys sick? Is that what I read? What, no, oh no, child. We, you know, when you grow up eating off the land, you grow up eating, eating out, of, out of the swamp. You've got your immune system is a little bit tougher than the Rona. Okay, child. All right. So, uh, <laughs> what, what, <laughs> but clearly, I think there's a movement on the part of Roll Tide and Florida and other SEC teams to try to shut down this upcoming season because they don't want to redo from a man Ed Orgeron <laughs> at LSU. 
<laughs> there it is. That, that's that's what it is. I I looked under the hood, and and that Fauci guy has an Alabama sticker, and then that Burks lady is. I think she's an Ohio State person. I can see exactly what's going on there. It's a conspiracy <laughs> to stop the Louis the LSU juggernaut. I hadn't thought of that until you just enlightened me. All right, Andrea K. As always, thank you for uh, being on the program for all you do for us. Uh, the answer San Diego dot com. Check her stuff out there and follow her and listen to her program. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Ed. Have a good one. Oh, you too. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. I have breaking news from the American Education Establishment. They've officially declared that if you homeschool, you cannot give your children a meaningful education. Can you believe that? Harvard Magazine published an outrageous piece called The Risks of Homeschooling, and they used it to trash the legitimate educational choices made by millions of parents every year. The audacity of these educational elites never ceases to amaze. They honestly believe that they know how to raise our children better than we do. It's even more astounding that they would run an anti-homeschooling article in light of the COVID-19 crisis. When schools throughout the nation were suddenly forced to close to prevent the spread of the virus, the homeschoolers were the only ones who weren't thrown into chaos. I'm not saying everybody should homeschool in case we ever get another deadly global pandemic, but it sure seems like bad timing to roll out the same old tired arguments about our homeschool students not being socialized and supposedly unqualified parent teachers. But this doesn't stop the broken record mouthpieces of the education establishment. They should be reevaluating what they can learn from home educators, but they'd rather take pot shots. The Harvard article said, quote, The issue is, do we think that parents should have 24-7 essentially authoritarian control over their children from ages 0 to 18? I think it's always dangerous to put powerful people in charge of the powerless and to give the powerful ones total authority, end quote. Did you get that? Could this author be more insulting to the family? The author sounds like an angst-ridden teenager complaining about how parents are dictators. For those of us dealing in the real world, we know children aren't capable of making informed decisions about their own care. That means someone has to be in charge of them. The establishment in education would like to paint the home as a terrible place so they can take control of your children. But we can't let them get away with it. The facts show time and again that the people most likely to look after the interests of a child are the child's parents. When you give the government, the schools, or anyone else final authority in parenting, the children always suffer. Parents and grandparents jumpstart the education of that child you love so much with a proven phonics course. With TurboReader, anyone at any age can learn to read. For free information on Phyllis Schlafly's TurboReader, call toll-free 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Open the door to a lifetime of reading and self-motivation. Call 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. And uh, 
I have to tell you, um, if you have not seen the video, and I haven't seen the uh, follow-up uh, that the, the the couple from St. Louis who stood in front of their home and fo- and, and uh, told the protesters to get away, the, the, the husband of that husband and wife is doing interviews, and I haven't seen any of them, but uh, I think they'll be interesting. They put out a statement saying that they support um, the idea of Black Lives Matter, and then this is great. They said two things. One is the agitators there weren't weren't black. They were white, which is funny because if you see pictures of Black Lives Matter, it looks like mostly kind of uh, uh, liberal white kids. But that's it's funny that he says that. And then he went on to basically say uh, we did the right thing. So we'll see. That story's going to get some legs. But let's turn to something else. I want I want to make sure that you hear this story. We've talked in the last few weeks, but this is a freight train coming for America. We're in the tunnel. I don't know how to do this. I'm making a mess of it. But it, this is a disaster in the making for America. And that is mail-in voting. And a place that I am very familiar, Patterson, New Jersey, is a place not far from where I grew up. Patterson, New Jersey, had their elections this year. Excuse me, last week. Not, not long ago. A few weeks ago. And the elections uh, were uh, have led to a series of arrests, uh, indictments. I guess arrests, too. Indictments of uh of folks who um cheated on the election in patterson new jersey in other words they used and and they did it on mail-in ballots and so the the election which is in 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 patterson new jersey it had a widespread fraud 800 ballots uh were fraudulent and it looks like i guess it was um oh no sorry 3100 ballots were disqualified which is 19 percent of the total ballots cast and 800 of those were invalidated for appearing in mailboxes improperly bundled together. In other words, they were, they were likely harvested. So there's been indictments. The story is going to get legs. Here's what you need to know about this story. We've been talking about it for a month. It, you know, it, this question of mail-in ballots is the question in, in terms of voter irregularities in terms of the possibility of fraud. Because absentee ballots are when you know you're going to be away in the military, you know you're going to be away on work, you know you're going to have surgery the day before the election. You you request an absentee ballot, you sign a piece of paper saying that you're not going to be there, and then you, you mail it into the election authority, they make note of that request, and then you get one sent to you. You see, that requires an, at least one affirmative action, really two. One is to say, yes, I'm out of town, and the other one is to vote. You have to do two affirmative actions, which just it, it, it lessens the likelihood of fraud. While it's true that you could call up and say, I hereby request a ballot, an absentee ballot application for my grandmother. And when it comes, you could fill it out for your grandmother and you could mail it in. Your grandmother could then be mailed a ballot and you could then commit voter fraud. It requires, as you can see, two or three affirmative acts of fraud. If you mail the whole shooting match of everybody on a file, a mail-in ballot, it requires nothing except one act, vote it, and give it to someone to turn in. So it's wide open. And the question becomes, if Patterson, New Jersey, all Democrat, by the way, Patterson, New Jersey's relatively, let me say, is predominantly um, minority, African-American and some of the Hispanic minorities, but predominantly minority and also pretty low income. It's a pretty, it's a pretty tough city. It's got, a little, uh, it's got some commonalities with uh, places like Newark. It's not far from Newark, uh, relatively, and Camden. It's a little further from there. But, you know, this is, a, this is an urban setting. All Democrat, and they're cheating on each other. When I was chairman of the Board of Elections in the city of St. Louis, I, we had a special election for an aldermanic race, and it was all Democrats. And they were cheating on each other. In other words, power will cheat, doesn't matter on part which party. 
So the question in the fall, in the November 3rd, 2020 election, what, are the, what is the role of mail-in balloting? How do you manage the reality of fraud? What can we do to limit it? How does it get done? And it's a big problem. And I, I've been asking all sorts of election authorities. You should ask in your in your uh, in your uh, county, in your state. And, you, and I've been asking anyone I can get to. Jay Ashcroft, the Missouri uh, Secretary of State. Can you well, certainly you can have judges, poll watching judges who can see um, what when you're judging absentee ballots and mail in ballots and signatures. But here's a question I want to ask. This could be the great solve, great uh, uh, solution. Why not? Do all of the mail-in ballots and stream it on the internet so that you put it on the internet so that people can watch from home. And so that if there's any shenanigans, remember what I've always told you about elections and election authorities and the question of how to manage elections. There are two priorities when you run an election. The number one is get people to do the job well. It's not that easy in a way. You're asked to basically perform three or four days a year on a task that's very complicated. It's lots of pieces, lots of action, lots of unforeseen stuff. The weather changes, the thing changes, the candidates, all that. So three or four days of the year, you have to perform at the highest level. So it takes a lot of work, a lot of practice, a lot of getting the right systems in place and all that. And you have to be good at it. It's a, it takes a real effort. Election authorities are really challenging and they, they do, by and, far, by, by and large, they do a great job. But the second part is, you have to instill in people the confidence that their vote counts, that the system is working, that it's not abused. And that is where you do outreach and people know, and that's where you do do things like help people register to vote and help them understand what's happening. And you talk to new communities of them or all these things. Well, if you allow this mail-in balloting, first of all, you're going to have a problem managing it, doing it well. And second, you're going to have a problem of delegitimizing de people of the election system. And people's confidence in it. Now, if you're the left, you've shown you don't really care about delegitimizing anything. You're happy to do it with schools. You're happy to do it with law enforcement. You're happy to do it with military. You're happy to do it with churches. And you're happy to do it with elections. But if you're not, if you're a good American, you don't want this to happen. You want the elections to be and people to see that it works. So that's my pitch. I'm going to find out about it. I'm going to see if there's a way to live stream the, uh, the checking of mail-in ballots and absentee ballots and counting ballots. Imagine that. All right, we got to run. we got a lot more. we got a great busy week. Happy Independence Day week. I hope you're celebrating all week long. Thank you to uh, Randy for filling in, our technical producer of, uh, of usual. Uh, Noah is out, uh, and he'll be back soon, hopefully. Thank you to Joanna for booking the show, and thank you for listening. We will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then.